Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text for today is our epistle lesson from Romans chapter 15. And you might have noticed that the sermon hymn we just sang isn't one we usually sing during Lent or Advent, but I picked it specifically for what it says in verse 2. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And it's the phrase, his word my hope secures, that is our central theme for today as we are in this season of Advent, preparing for our, for our Savior to come. But before we get into that, I have a little bit of a, a confession, or I guess it's a statement that has the possibility of causing division, and I'll just say it here. I don't eat at McDonald's. This is a decision I made over a decade ago, and I haven't eaten there in years. And the reason I'm telling you this is to show you how a statement like this can cause division. Because when you hear something like this, you make a judgment. Either you agree with me as a fellow person who doesn't eat there, and you can infer all sorts of different values because of it. You might think that I value a, high, a healthy lifestyle, or that I, that I hate big corporate change, or that I think eating beef is bad for you. The other option is that you disagree with me, Maybe you're someone who loves eating there, and the last thing you expected at church on Sunday is to be attacked for where you eat, decide to eat lunch. You might think, what, what do I have against McDonald's, right? They offer a quality meal at a fair price. Again, you could infer different values I hold because of that statement. You might think I hate obese people, or think that uh, parents who feed this to their kids are bad parents. But the truth is, for me, the food from McDonald's just doesn't agree with my body. That's it. That's the simple reason. But I want you to focus on that initial reaction that you had when I first told you about my eating habits because it's the reactions like that that caused some major divisions in the Christian church in the first century in Rome, especially when there were different eating habits among the Jews and the Gentiles. And it's in Romans 15 uh, 4 through 13, that we see an attempt to bring unity to those who disagree. Did you notice how many times the word Gentile was used in our reading done by Ethan? It was used six times. And if you look at the context just before this in Scripture, you see that there was a disagreement. But it wasn't just about food, but it was how people chose to conduct their whole lives. And it was creeping up among the early Christians of Rome, which was a mix of, of Jews and Gentiles. You see, a better way to understand this mix of people is a gathering of the in-crowd and the outcasts. Picture uh, a high school pep rally. I don't know if they still do those today, but they did still in my day. And at my school, we had the, the jocks and the popular kids in one spot, and then we had the, the nerds and the socially awkward in the other over here, and then in the middle, you kind of had the band geeks splitting the two. That's where I sat, was in the middle. But the separation, the distinction between the groups was noticeable. And there was tension, or, or maybe a better way to say this was the disunity existed. Well, the same thing's happening here in Rome, and, 
And Paul is trying to remind the Jews, the in crowd, that the Gentiles, the out crowd, they have every reason to have the same hope in the promises of God that they do. And he does this by quoting the Hebrew Scriptures. Paul quotes 2 Samuel and Psalms and Deuteronomy and Isaiah, and he gives example after example of the Gentiles joining in the worship of God, finding their true hope in him. You see, even amongst the disunity, Paul is encouraging Christians towards harmony. Specifically in verses 5 and 6, he says, May the God of, en of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful image of the church. But sadly, it's not the reality. But what's the big deal, right? Who cares if they don't all get along? To the in crowd, they look at these outsiders and they think they aren't doing it right. They aren't eating the right food. They aren't drinking the right drink. They aren't worshiping God a certain way on a certain day. And the in crowd sees these outsider Christians as weak and less than. And so, I'm sure that gossip happened and choice words were spoken and dirty looks were given. These outsiders needed to shape up or ship out. And sadly, that same kind of quarreling still exists in the church today. The same competitive faith is alive and well, and yes, to this day, gossip happens. Choice words are spoken and dirty looks are given. But God, through Paul, is calling for an end to that. And we hear that the Gentiles, the outsiders, they have every right to be part of the in crowd as the Jewish Christians do because they have the same hope. And so Paul calls the Jewish Christians, the insiders, he, he calls them out on their sinful behavior. And in a sense, he's saying, be careful what you're doing. Or, or maybe even stronger, don't you dare, don't you dare take away their hope. Because that's what this quarreling can do. The Gentiles know they have no right to be there. They know that. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. This is Paul again. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what was called the circumcision, which is made by the, fle the flesh of hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And it sucks to be without hope. It sucks to take stock of your life and to come to the, the conclusion that it won't get any better. In fact, the only thing you see in store for your life is harder and full of pain a life of sadness and despair, a life where every day you have the thought, well, tomorrow won't be any better than today. 
That's the life that Paul is talking about here with the Gentiles, the outsiders. And that's a real and present reality for them. And then there's these religious insiders telling them over and over again that they aren't good enough, that they're not doing it right. Folks, we still live in a world with outsiders to the faith. Maybe that was you in the past. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you've taken stock of your life and you've come to the conclusion that it won't get any better. Maybe you've even called yourself hopeless. Or maybe you know someone that thinks that about themselves. And when it comes to feeling hopeless, there is... There is a lie that Satan wants you to believe about God. The lie is this. That God not only doesn't want to help you in your situation, but that he's unable to help you in your situation. That's like step one in Satan's playbook. That God doesn't want to help you or that he can't help you. Or, or that he can help you, but you don't deserve it. When in fact the very opposite is the truth. God does want to help you. And he already has done something about it. Satan is right about one thing. We don't deserve God's help. None of us do. But that hasn't got, stopped God from saving us. That hasn't stopped God from loving us, each and every one of us. The next play in Satan's playbook against the hopeless is, is to poke. To poke at that sin that we have an easy time giving into, which, which is different for each of us. Maybe it's gossiping. Maybe it's being judgmental. Maybe it's an addiction or shameful living, whatever it is. And then Satan uses that to try to prove to you that you, don't, that you deserve to be in the situation that you're in. Because it's your life that's causing you to feel hopeless. If none of that is hitting home with you today, praise God. If you have hope, if you feel certain that tomorrow will be better than today, then praise God. But know that there are others out there who are so close to breaking, so in need of hearing an encouraging word and kind actions. That's true for the people of this church. That's true for the people of this community. The same was true for the early church in Rome. Through Paul, God had brought hope to the hopeless. But then there were these religious elite that were behaving in a way that could undo it all. That's why Paul was inspired to write the letter to the Romans, this epistle that we're looking at today. And it was not just to stop division, but to bring hope. Have you ever wondered why, what the purpose of the letter to the Romans was? Or better asked, how is God impacting the Christians in Rome through Paul's writing? How does God impact Christians of today? The intent of the epistle to the Romans is not to make us exacting legalists or expert theologians, but it's to fill our hearts with peace and joy and hope to those Christians who are suffering, particularly to those who are passing through 
a season of trial, please hear loud and clear that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sent his son to die for you, is not taking any pleasure in your predicament. Instead, he wants us to find our hope in him. To find our hope in the God that has done and continues to do for us. And as you read through Romans, you'll notice there are three words that you'll hear over and over again. And those are joy and peace and hope. Which gets us back to the season of Advent. If you look at that Advent wreath over there, those candles represent certain words. And they are hope, peace, joy, and love. We got three out of four today. Not bad. And so as we wait for Christmas, as we wait for the coming of our King, we wait in hope. And so we zoom in on this idea of hope for today. If you Google the word hope, you get this definition. Let me blow it up for you a little bit. It says, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Did you catch that? A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, if you try to apply that to our Bible reading for today, it falls terribly short. Instead, if we look at God's definition from Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy. I wrote that wrong. Hold on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So instead of that definition, I offer you this definition. Joy plus peace equals hope. Joy and peace in believing equal hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the hope, the blessed hope that God gives us. To make this come to life a little more, let's hear from John 15.11. Uh, recording Jesus' words, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? The God that fills makes us full. That's the joy. And then back in John 14, verse 27, Jesus also says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's the peace. And so you take that joy and that peace and you add them together and that's your hope. And may we abound in that hope. May it overflow in our lives because, here's another one, hope is greater than suffering. And hope is greater than quarrels. And as we receive hope, from the God who fills us with that hope, we can take that overflow and we can share it with those who need filling. We can share this message that because of God and what he's done in the sending of his son, Jesus, to live and to die and to rise again, which grants us forgiveness and life eternal, we can share that message that tomorrow will be better than today. Not because the suffering and the hopelessness that bombards us in every direction will get any better on a human level, 
but because we have a God who loves us and who comes to us and who, who came to us that first Christmas and who comes to us in his word and his sacrament, who comforts us and gives us that hope in our upcoming eternity in God's presence. That's why tomorrow will be better than today, because we'll be one step closer. And it's true, those words from verse 2 of our sermon hymn, Amazing Grace. The Lord has promised good to me and to you and to all of us. His word our hope secures. He will our shield and portion be as long as life endures. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.